Zill at the time was building out a machine learning model to help you price houses, essentially. So from my perspective at the time, you know, I'd never even heard the words machine learning in 2019, to be honest with you. So go in and I very quickly kind of read the tea leaves and I thought, you know, this machine learning model is trying to learn how to do my job right now. While there's always going to be these high touch cases and things that the, that the computer can't do, it's just like chat GPT right now. Like the machine learning was going to disrupt that job specifically. And so I thought I'd rather be the person trying to write that code than the one having the, the job disrupted from it. Welcome to the Exponential Growth Podcast, where we demystify what it takes to break into tech. I'm your host, James Hudnell, and my goal is to highlight real-life examples of people moving into careers they love, so you can too. Hey, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Joshua Houston, a software engineer at Zillow, a run coach, real estate investor, army officer, and a Quantic MBA. Now, Josh, I just read off LinkedIn, but I would love for you to maybe introduce yourself and tell us who is Joshua Houston. Yeah, you know, it's from the sounds of it, you know, you kind of described someone who has dabbled in a few different things. You know, I'm, I'm still considering myself in the fairly young camp, but yeah, I'm a National Guardsman part time and uh, found my way into the real or the real estate tech world um, almost by accident, you would say, coming out of college. And, you know, we can definitely talk about that as we move on. But, you know, I'm a father and a husband as well. And, you know, really uh, enjoy working at Zillow and uh, the, the tech industry is something I never really understood. We, we briefly touched on that prior to starting this. Um, you know, I grew up in a, a really a pretty small town in the, the border of Arizona. And you know, I thought the internet ran itself. I had no clue people actually wrote the code to to make it happen. Yeah. And uh, so it really didn't enter my mind that this was a potential career field. But, you know, once I started coming around 2018, I, I, I started working at Zill in, in 2019, um, saw that this is a super viable career field and uh, kind of made plans to, to pivot into uh, the software development side. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to kick it off there before we do two things. First, thank you for your service. And I also wanted to ask, what do you do day to day, I guess, at Zillow today? Yeah, day to day, I'm a front end software engineer. So I work on the, our team's called the For Sale HTTP team. So basically just work on the uh, the home details page and uh, making sure that everything works there. We have React, we have a GraphQL layer, um, you know, and a lot of, uh, you know, plain old JavaScript, that kind of thing. So cool. yeah, it's a, it's a really good team. Love my, my manager and the group that I'm, I'm with. And uh, yeah, love what I do right now on a daily basis. Nice. Cool. Well, let's let's jump off where you had kind of left off before. So so growing up, it sounded like the internet was this magic black box to you, which it, it kind of was for me as well. But but take us back there, Josh. Like what did you what did you do for fun back then? What did you kind of envision yourself becoming maybe during high school or just before? Yeah, you know, I'll try and keep it fairly brief, but you know, I grew up, like I said, border town, deserts running, exercising, you know, that kind of thing. Like love to read, love to, you know, do academic things as well. Captain of the academic decathlon team, also great, you know, super fun. So, you know, going into high or college, I, uh, I'm a big fan of options and getting people to pay for things for you. So mm. did an army ROTC scholarship going into, into college. And so um, my whole plan was to just be an active duty infantry officer, uh, you know, run around with a, a pack and a rifle, you know, uh, in the woods doing stuff like that. And also a fairly religious guy. And so kind of at the 11th hour of my college career, I was a history major, had no, I, I just chose history because it was something I loved. Easy major, could okay. knock it out and just get to the army as quickly as possible, basically. Okay. So all my internships, I had a lot of really good ones. Uh, interned with fifth group, did airborne school, really cool experiences, went to Panama with the army, but they were all army, nothing civilian. Um, so I get to my junior or my senior year and you have to elect what you want to do in the army. Essentially, you have to rank your jobs at what you want to um, do. And so I, instead of going active duty, even though I was, you know, 
competitive, had all the things I needed for it, decided to go to the National Guard, felt like I had a, a, a spiritual, you know, prompting to do that for, for my family. And yeah, very crazy because at that point in time, it was like, okay, you are not marketable at all because you have nothing civilian side. You don't know how to use Excel. You are useless basically, right? Yeah. So my backup plan was, all right, great. Well, I will go be a border patrol agent, go back to my hometown, be in the National Guard in Arizona. Uh, I had my best friend and I were planning on doing that. He has gone that route and, you know, kudos to him. He's a now four-star agent, search and rescue. So he's, he's doing good things, um, helping people out in the desert. But, you know, for me, it became very stressful because I, I then went to my initial officer training in the army and I didn't have a job yet. So I was, I'd been applying to the border patrol for a year and a half, passed my polygraph, did all this stuff to, to get in. And I'm about to finish my army training. And I'm like, man, I've got no job lined up because the border patrol hasn't worked out. So I, had also gotten into real estate and thought about real estate investing through a, a website called Bigger Pockets. A lot of people have probably heard about it. And uh, so I started applying for every real estate job I could in the meantime. And in the middle of my army training in uh, Columbus, Georgia, Fort Benning, now Fort Moore, saw a job for Zillow, applied for it, you know, did as much interview papers as I could. And they hired somebody who was woefully uh, unprepared to be in that corporate environment. But yeah, interviewed in Atlanta, Georgia, got hired on a job in Phoenix, Arizona. And so started my guard career and my Zillow career concurrently there just as a real estate analyst, essentially. So price okay. at home. Okay. Yeah. Very cool, man. I've got so many questions about that. First question is you were introduced to Bigger Pockets, which I too was at the time. And man, I know personally, I over-researched everything and mm -hmm. probably did it to the point where I do, I am fortunate to be a homeowner, but beyond that, I never like went for the duplex that I wanted to or anything like that. So I'm curious, were you able to do anything like that? Given what I think I understand to be like the military, I'm not sure if you guys get a per diem or something like that, able to apply towards a strategy that you found on bigger pockets. Were you able to, to delve into it at all? Yeah, the army has like the VA loan, which is a zero down payment option, but the National Guard, you don't get that until you're six years in. So I'm really excited to use it hopefully next year or the year after that. Nice. But um, yeah, at the time when Arizona, right when I got out into the Zillow world, I was looking at some things in, in Phoenix but was really afraid of the housing market, uh, you know, crashing. It'd been yeah. 10 years or so since the the last, um, last crash. And so, you know, fear kind of brings that inaction. And so, you know, black swan event, who could have told, foretold that COVID, you know, would have increased housing prices, like, right. you know, the way that it has, you know, Zillow open door, a lot of other companies shut down their, their buying during that time because they were afraid of kind of some of the market effects and yeah. really couldn't have foretold, you know, some of the different swings that are going on there. So now, you know, we just bought a single family house uh, and moving out to South Carolina is where I'm at now. Um, work went remote. And so we made the decision to be close to my wife's family and go to a place that's lower cost of living. Um, and then we just bought another, a duplex basically here as well. So we just have three doors, nothing crazy, yeah. um, but we're renting out the old one and, and the other side of our home here. And hopefully in a year or two, you know, do the same thing by a three or four unit if, if possible. Yeah. So. yeah. Play a monopoly. I see you put in that bigger pockets, educational use. That's pretty cool. Trying to, trying to. And <laughs> I love my work. I like my career, both in the military and civilian side. So I don't have any plans of, of stopping anytime soon, yeah. you know? So this is just kind of a way to, again, I like options. I do have a 401k, love uh, putting money into it. I like real estate and potentially a military retirement as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Just trying to look forward to, uh, to the future with that. No, good to have optionality for sure. And, and so let me ask you, Josh, when you, you had mentioned you pivoted when you joined Zillow, I think you had mentioned as a, maybe like an entry-level analyst, so to speak. Mm -hmm. We love talking about interviews and this may not be a technical interview. It sounds like it may not have been, but regardless, 
How did you get the interview? Are there any commonalities given what you know now, given that you work at Zillow in the software developer role? How did you, I guess, get the interview? How did you do in hindsight? Anything that you want to, I guess, touch on there? Yeah, I mean, I think I I did not know anything about LinkedIn when I started. I remember starting a profile when I was a uh, what's called iBullock, that infantry officer course, and so basically did what I, the same thing I would say to do now, which is you know you got to ignore the as much of the layers of bureaucracy as you possibly can and just cut to the people who make the decisions. You know that applies to to sales, it applies to project management, it applies to getting a job. You know, so yeah. got really lucky and you know saw LinkedIn had the the feature where you could see who the recruiter is or, or yeah. whatnot. So sent them a message and they were kind enough to forward me the information for the, the hiring manager. Okay. Um, so basically I would just say, use every single means you have available to yeah. separate yourself from the pack and just get an interview. I've never served in the military. What I think I know there is it's very regimented in terms of that chain of command. So I wanted to ask you, given what you just said, and I guess in the civilian world, knowing how to to cut through different layers that you don't need to necessarily navigate, was that difficult for you? Did you naturally just identify the two differences? Uh, I used, I'm still one of the, my weaknesses as a leader is that I follow orders too often, if that makes sense. Sometimes there's just orders that you have to carefully consider and then based on both vantage points, ignore essentially. Right. And so, um, I have a really good example, a buddy of mine, he was another fellow national guardsman. Um, he wanted to go to a, a school called Ranger school. It's a really, um, it's a suffering school. It's, it's pretty well recognized in the army. Uh, our company commander, uh, he got really uh, mad at this young Lieutenant for, he didn't even realize he went over the company commander's head, but he went to our mm. battalion staff someone higher than him and said, Hey, how can I go to ranger school basically? And he just smashed this, this Lieutenant essentially for, for doing that. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes you have to do that because this commander was in my opinion, not, not a good leader because he didn't support the guy going anyways, fast forward a couple of years from then he continued to ignore that advice, uh, went to ranger school, kicked butt passed. And now he's a ranger tab, you know, Lieutenant national guard, which is very you know, quite rare. And, uh, you know, there's things like that too. I mean, at Zillow, I've seen two individuals who went to coding boot camps, didn't have any foot in the door like, like I had as far as an apprenticeship that was a pipeline into a job. And they've basically just kicked down the door to getting a job internally. You know, I highly recommend people find your way to get into a company that you like, even if it's not software development. And then there's ways to kind of, you know, do a great job make yourself known. And then there are other opportunities will open up to you. Yeah. Don't accept no for an answer. I've heard that time and time again with the people that I've talked exactly. to like yourself. So I didn't mean to interrupt you earlier. It sounded like, so you, you'd gotten the interview and how did that actually go? If you remember? Yeah. I mean, it went well, it was a pretty entry level position at the time and you know, the, the market was fairly frothy. And so, uh, made sure that tailor everything to your company that you're, you're, you're working for, you know? So I made sure I knew the core values at Zillow that I know now, you know, um, I recommend that to everybody. Like that's what people are focusing on. Um, and just have those star interviews down. And then at the time, you know, I was only 24, so I didn't have a ton of life experience, but made sure to highlight the things that, uh, I had that were unique as far as my army experiences, my, uh, desire to learn real estate that I'm binging podcasts, reading books, that kind of thing. So you got to highlight every single possible thing you can. And then the second step is just get great at whatever you're trying to do and be able to show that you're really good at it. And, you know, people hate on the technical interviews a lot. I still don't consider myself to be an expert at all on those, but 
I mean, you know exactly what they're going to be, te- you know, asking you that there's not a lot of jobs that you get that opportunity. And I mean, there's so many resources on the internet, both free and paid now to help you to crush those interviews. So, yeah. you know, to me, if I ever have, you know, when, when it comes time to find another job from Zillow, you know, I know what I have to do to pass those interviews. The question is, am I willing to put in the work and the effort to make that happen? Yeah, no, it is great. And it's beautiful because you, if you do a little bit of research, you, you definitely, to your point, you know what you have to do. It's just a question of taking ownership in that process and being willing to put in the work. And I, I guess that's, that's the the silver lining to the, the technical interview and the quote unquote bad rep. Some people give it because it is, it's a process and it's definitely an investment. You know, I never had to do that dance because I too was very fortunate to find an apprenticeship that actually there was a technical requirement, but it was more so it was initially essay based. And then I guess you validated it with coding projects that you'd done. And then there was like a take home assignment. So it's not that you didn't have to prove some form of technical ability, but I never had to do that leco grind that I assumed that I would have right. to do. But it is cool to know that that is a thing. And if you have the the will and desire to do that, you can pursue that. And as long as you're not willing to take no for an answer, you will be successful. It's just a function of your, your effort and your time. So you land this job as the analyst. How do you think you did it first? Did you enjoy it? How did that play out? Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed the the job itself. And I think one of the biggest things that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pragmatist, right? So we, Zillow at the time was building out a machine learning model to help you price houses, essentially. So from my perspective at the time, you know, I'd never even heard the words machine learning in 2019, to be honest with you. So go in and I very quickly kind of read the tea leaves and I thought, you know, this machine learning model is trying to learn how to do my job right now. While there's always going to be these high touch cases and things that the, that the computer can't do, it's just like chat GPT right now. Like the machine learning was going to disrupt that job specifically. And so I thought I'd rather be the person trying to write that code than the one having the, the job disrupted from it. That's kind of a, a tough thing to say out loud. You know, I, I don't like to hear it. A lot of people don't like to hear it. Yeah. But I think the way to set yourself for success is to very critically analyze where your industry is going. And that's what made me make the decision. Hey, you know, I, I wanted something that's very difficult to disrupt uh, comparatively to, to what I was yeah. doing at the time. So yeah. did as much self-study as I could and, um, you know, paid for a portion of a coding boot camp too. And because I, I learned about this apprenticeship at, at Zillow and so tried to be as competitive as possible uh, for that. Yeah. Well, I didn't realize that Zillow actually had an apprenticeship. So that's even, I'm even more excited now to talk with you. Not that I wasn't already coming in. I want to learn more about that and how you went through it. But I also want to ask, I think I saw where you went to the Quantic School of Business to get your MBA. So where was that in this timeline that we've talked about so far? Yeah. And that was prior to me uh, applying to the coding bootcamp. So one thing about that, the apprenticeship was that you had to be two years in the company internal to to go for it as well. Okay. And they even put a pause on it, I think, post-COVID for a little bit of time. But again, that's just where you've got to look for opportunities, both that are are sanctioned and, and that are not sanctioned as well. You know, okay. so the MBA thing, luck, you know, I'm a big uh, guy for, for free education. So this was kind of a, a disruptive uh, new MBA at the time. And it was free when I applied for it. So spent a year doing that. And, and like I said, very non-traditional type of thing. But worst case scenario, I thought, okay, well, I have a lot of time right now, comparatively. I'm not, you know, my, my time isn't worth a lot of money and this is free. So worst case yeah. scenario, if I do want to go do an MBA in the future, strengthens my case. Like, hey, I, I did this non-traditional version and yeah. got the knowledge. I want additional knowledge and maybe the network that, uh, you know, a, a good MBA might, might provide too. Yeah. So it was great for me. 
I guess you can't compare it to a traditional MBA program, nor can I, because I've never done anything like that. I did do a, uh, it sounds a lot better than it actually is, but Harvard, Harvard online version, Harvard offers like a, uh, I think it's called core credential of readiness, like a pre-MBA thing that I did, I think back in maybe 2016 or 17, long before I even knew programming was a thing. But it was really cool because I, I had like a, not an innate understanding of business, but it gave me, I guess, a more discreet understanding of like different principles of business. So I'm curious, is that what you kind of found with the program that you did as well? And has that served you fairly well, even in the role that you do today? Absolutely. And just because, like I said, coming out of uh, the college role, you know, I wasn't a business major. The army structure is so different from the corporate structure that, you know, you you really have no clue. What does product management? What is program management? They're two completely different beasts. Uh, what is technical program product management or program management? Like none of that is is very uh, intuitive when you first get into the the corporate world. So for me, just kind of getting situational awareness to you know what uh, the company was doing, uh, I, I could see. Okay, I, I know what's happening on the earnings call because of the the, the, the knowledge that I got from the MBA. Okay, I see what uh, what these SPACs are doing, all this crazy stuff going on. And so, yeah, mainly just that situational awareness and kind of knowing uh, what was going on to the left and right as a brand new employee, brand new corporate worker. Well, it was definitely pretty helpful. And again, it was it was free too. So I'm, again, yeah. huge on, on the free thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like I said, coding bootcamp paid for by Zillow, most of it as well. So right. most of my education from undergrad, master's, coding bootcamp has been you know paid for by some entity and you know i put in the work in uh, to get that value back of course but yeah, yeah. and if i ever go to a master's you know i hopefully can get a gi bill from the army too and get that paid for but you know a, a second master's i should say so yeah, yeah it's i'm huge in using every resource you can to uh you know make make opportunities for yourself yeah that was that's what i was going to ask you was about the gi bill are you already eligible for that if and when you need it? Or is that like more, uh, I guess, time requirement on your end? Yeah. So I got school paid for through the RTC scholarship and you can earn it as an officer by doing deployments, active duty time, things like that. So if I ever do one of those in the future, then yeah, I can okay. I can earn a GI Bill and, and use that towards, you know, something else or pass it on to my children or something like okay. that. So very definitely cool. a, a minor goal in the, in the future yeah. for sure. Yeah. Not very cool. So you mentioned Zillow actually paid for the boot camp, which I think is very progressive. I think that's awesome. Is it, was it Code Fellows? I think I saw, is that the bootcamp that you did? Yep. Yeah, it was Code Fellows. So one, one unique thing was that it was a, it's on the uh, West coast. I was on the East coast at the time or still am right now. And so all of the classes were live online in person via zoom or whatnot. Right. So, okay. you know, classes started at 6 30 PM for me, it was like 9 30 PM. So that was a, a year that was uh, pretty brutal. Uh, but yeah. I, I knew that it was hundred percent worth it because yeah. of the pipeline that, you know, guaranteed job at the end. Like it's not, you know, like a lot of the coding boot camps are, it's a really reputable place. Um, I stumped for a program through the army called, or the military called vet tech that okay. also pays for coding boot camps for anyone who has a GI bill, which is awesome. And uh, we had a lot of guys who, and gals who did that as well um, at, through code fellows because it had such a good reputation and the military pays for people to go there too. So yeah, it was awesome. So Code Fellows, I, I think I probably had heard a couple of people that went to that, but I've never heard the maybe the experience. And I so I did Springboard, which is just another boot camp. Mm -hmm. I definitely feel like it was worth the both time and upfront investment. Sounds like you didn't have to make said investment because you were quite clever to use the the means that you had therein. Did you feel like you learned a lot through the program? Yeah, they kind of had it separated out into into modules where they kind of did, you know, a very, very basic learn HTML CSS bit at the beginning. Then they did uh, a pretty 
in-depth JavaScript and React um, portfolio. And then you kind of had your choice to pick and choose if you want to do Python, Java, um, and I think like .NET was the third option. And so at the Zillow Pipeline folks, we just kind of were put into the next one in line, which was the Python one. Okay. Um, Python is a super cool language. I really like the flexibility it has. I like the simplicity, the readability. Um, but definitely, uh, you know, I, I don't use Python at all in my current role, you know, so that's that's a tough, it's not tough, but you know, it's you just yeah. got to learn what you have to learn. I know you have Scala. I'm certain they yeah. didn't touch that in any coding bootcamp. Yeah. Uh, and Python so. was my first one too, Josh. So I totally empathize with you. It was my, still probably is my favorite. So I totally get it. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm just big on, you know, kind of learn what you, what you can and, and be flexible to, you know, I would love to kind of dip my toes into the uh, Android type community at some point, again, for pragmatic reasons. And so, um, and, and some of the personal projects I have lean more towards the mobile side of the house too. So yeah, it's, uh, it, I, I think just be smart about what you're doing, to be honest with you, getting a, a front end job at Zillow right now, for example, would be incredibly hard unless you were a senior software engineer. Um, so you just have to be kind of looking for where, where are the opportunities and, you know, go there, you know, especially yeah. I, I'm not someone who, you know, I code 24 seven and I just love this to the, you know, to death. I really like it. I like the the problem solving. I like all that, those elements of it. Um, but if it's no, di- I, I like Excel too. I like data analytics. So if there's no difference really um, to what you, what you enjoy doing, like just go do the thing that's going to, you know, provide, provide you a good amount of stability or, or future opportunities too. Yeah. Yeah. I think you'd mentioned, so you had to be a Zillow employee for two years or at least two years prior to them sponsoring or basically paying for, was it only for like a boot camp to move into the software engineering role or are there other avenues that, that you're aware Yeah. Of? They had like a very specific pipeline and agreement with code fellows because they okay. had, had good success with them. Um, and so, yeah, really lucky to do that. But I mean, there's all kinds of, you know, cool apprenticeships out there. Um, I know, I think Airbnb, Pinterest, LinkedIn, tons of people, at least at the time we're doing them about a year ago too. So it's yeah. just kind of when those things start to spin up again, or when you see those opportunities, you know, you got to differentiate yourself and, and put yourself out yeah. there. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, LinkedIn definitely does have one. A little birdie told me that the next cohort might soon be announced, but that's not official. And you definitely did not hear that from me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So does that still stand as far as you know, with Zillow, like they still have that program where... Yeah, I think they're trying to spin it back up again for the, okay. this fiscal year. So you know, yeah, you just got to kind of find those opportunities. And like I said, I know two guys while the program was shut down for a year who they, they paid for a coding bootcamp on their own. They showed projects to a director level uh, or maybe even an EP level person and are set up meetings internally and just, you know, said, hey, I, I really want to be a software engineer. This is what I've done on my own to make it happen. Yeah. And I think people are really responsive to, you know, folks who put themselves out there and, uh, you know, demonstrate that they've even if they're not perfect, that they're they're putting in the work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you. So learning to code, I, I apologize for what I'll try to not make a lazy question. I, I want to ask you, you know, was it hard? Did you struggle? Obviously you've persevered and I think you've made it, but uh, I guess, were there any struggles along the way where you had doubted the decision to, to go down this path? Yeah. I think for a long time there wasn't because, you know, the very beginning stages, it's, it's pretty easy. You're doing yeah. little, just little widgets and little front end pieces. It's not that bad. And then you start running into you know different different buzz saws, different things that are difficult. And so, you know, I I definitely consider myself kind of like middle of the pack as far as like my my boot camp cohort. We had some really smart people, some people who you know right out of their the boot camp they didn't have the pipelines that I did. You know, they just got great at the leak coding stuff, had really good projects and a good background too. 
And, you know, they got to places like Microsoft, they got to places like Amazon and, uh, you know, are doing quite, quite well there. So it's harder now, obviously, but even when we graduated in 2021, middle of 21, you know, they were, they were getting, get finding roles as well. Um, Yes, it was definitely very hard. And I definitely question my ability to do it every day. I'm still not incredibly skilled. I'm a very, very junior developer, you know, I'm a, I'm a P1 here at Zillow, you know, the lowest, almost the lowest of the low, and that's totally yeah. fine. But I've yeah. been given a runway to develop and, and grow and super, super grateful for that because I have, yeah. I've got some psychological, you know, parts from my past where, you know, oh man, I, I only did made it to pre-calc in high school and calculus was, was going to be too hard. So I decided to stop and, and not pursue math any further. So I'm not good at logic and, and mathematical, you know, uh, type of, uh, of thinking, but, you know, just got to, kind of push past that and do your very best to uh, avoid the limiting beliefs because there's a lot of them. Yeah. I was going to ask you if there was any like advice that kind of helped you get through that, but I think you kind of just answered it with that there. You know, anyone listening, I think now definitely appreciates that. So normally I would ask you, you know, did code fellows have a uh, career component to it, but it sounds like you had a really sweet deal, man, where, so Zillow sponsoring it sounds like this this track, the Python track on the back end made for Zillow, or at least in conjunction with what you were going to work with there, was it structured such that if you quote unquote passed the boot camp, or I guess you did all the requirements or the curriculum, was your moving into the apprenticeship with Zillow was it guaranteed pretty much? Yeah, so they had a okay. team kind of pre-selected for us, and there were there were some shakeups, and and you kind of have to have that flexibility as well. But yes, basically right out of the the boot camp, they you know, we had a team that we were already placed on. We we knew before we even started the apprenticeship who we were going to go with. So okay. yeah, the whole time it was kind of like, okay, you've got some job security, at least moving through. Yeah. Um, I remember I got the email that I was accepted and, you know, and, and this is the, the, the tough side of it too, is that, you know, there were other Zillow people with me when I went to the first part of the boot camp to prepare and, you know, they didn't, they didn't make it in, uh, into the apprenticeship. And so, mm-hmm. Part of that, I think, was because I I'd done some things through our affinity networks on the veteran side, and I, again, just had done a lot of work to prepare myself. But you know, that's the tough part is that you know some people aren't aren't going to get it. Um, so very, I feel very fortunate. I you know when I got the email, jumped out of my chair, super excited. Um, you know, hugged my wife and all that, um, and just feel very very grateful for you know um, th- that opportunity. And so anytime I, I get, you know, especially with like veterans, I try and help out who want to break into tech, trying to pay it forward just a little bit because I got very, very lucky, um, you know, to be in the position that I am. Yeah. So when you went from the analyst to you had finished the boot camp, and now you're in the, you're a software engineer, Josh, you're, you're an apprentice software engineer as Zillow. What was that like? What was the transition like? And I guess I would ask the onboarding, maybe not to the company per se, but I assume to the company's code base, at least to a greater extent. What was that like? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is just the the scale of your code base that you're working with with is so much different than anything you're going to going to touch in a boot camp. So, you know, your personal projects are you the code is is very similar or the same in a lot of ways, but then the size of it is so is very daunting, especially when you consider I, I you know, one of the things I I still struggle with is, oh no, am I gonna break something? You know, and there's so many ways to break something in yep. your in your code. Um, so you really have to have a high level understanding of what the whole repository or not the whole repository but how different pieces interact with each other and that's still something that i'm working on to this day particularly because my my growth gets stunted a lot as a software engineer because i'm constantly having to do a month here a week here two weeks there of going off of work to go do army training so like this first six months of the year 
I've only worked at Zillow three months. Uh, I've okay. had to take three months of various pieces of time off to go do army commitments. And uh, you know, that's not going to slow down anytime soon, essentially. So yeah. Uh, yeah, super hard to see the different, the scale of the code base is just on a different level. So yeah. I, that's a big piece to understand moving forward when you go to yeah. a new company. What have you done to offset the, not the struggles, but the the difficulties, because I too experienced it at LinkedIn, like trying to learn the, we call them multi-products, but the same thing, basically the repo or the sub project mm-hmm. that we are in control of. How, how do you combat that? Do you just like do a deep dive and say, all right, for the next N hours, I'm, I'm going to click through every function to try to really understand what's going on here. Like how, how does it, how do you work through that, that struggle? Yeah, I think uh, one thing I do is I start with our documentation because we have pretty good, you know, documentation on like our t- internal wikis and things like that. Um, and then one thing I need to do a better job of is just constantly asking questions on my teammates. I do, I, you know, I try hard to do that. Um, but man, there's just so much you don't know. It's, it is daunting. So, um, you know, every, every project I get is, I, I really am grateful because, you know, or every ticket is a new opportunity to kind of understand a piece of the code base that I didn't really, uh, understand, uh, today, you know, I, I have a ticket I'm working on and, uh, it's, we're, we're splitting out different versions of our our um, our front end, and so trying to understand the interplay between the two, particularly because I I just got back, you know, a week ago from an army training where I was gone for most of a month. Like it's it's hard getting back in the saddle, and you know, especially when a bunch of changes were just made that makes our product very different than it was before. Um, you, know, you just a lot of our you know, time is spent not coding; it's spent just reading code and trying to understand code, and uh, you know that's hard because it feels like you're unproductive because you're not contributing as much, you know, but again, it's just, you got to understand where you're at as a software engineer, your runway and give yourself a bit of grace to, uh, or I, I'm, I'm speaking to myself right now, give myself sure. a bit of grace to just grow and, uh, you know, yeah. eventually become a, you know, that, that senior that I'm looking up to, you know, a few, several years from now. Yeah. And to your point, don't be afraid to ask those questions because I too, I feel like I'm, I'm decent at it, Josh, but there, there's still that, you almost don't want to ask the the silly question, but there are no silly questions except those that are unasked. And I struggle with that, but that that's like a one of the biggest takeaways for me is don't be afraid to ask that. That's what I love. We we have a relatively new team member on my team, and this person has a pretty good background in tech, but they still come in and they ask all of these questions in the Slack chat. And I'm like, yes, somebody please answer this. This is something that I also wanted to know, but for some reason I never asked. And it's so cool to to ask those questions. So all of that is to say. You know, don't be afraid to ask those questions. You're probably not the only one that that has it. Yeah. And Slack, honestly, I think is one of the best tools too, because you can search and ask yes. questions. You know I mean? yes. Do a quick search, see if anyone's answered it before, and then move forward and, and ask it yourself, you know, yeah. and maybe better about that. Yeah. Let me ask you. So you are a full-time software engineer in this program with Zillow, but there's also, maybe it's unique to you or, or maybe people like you in that you have these army obligations as well. Is there just this understanding, I guess, that Zillow has that that's a part of your quote unquote job requirement or your other responsibilities therein? And it sounds like they're probably pretty supportive of that. Yeah, they've been pretty supportive since I came in. Um, there's actually a law that helps protect National Guardsmen or reservists, you know, uh, moving forward. But that doesn't mean that just means you can't get fired. It doesn't mean that your life can't be made miserable at sure. your work to try and force you out. You know, I've, I've definitely encountered people in other career fields and other jobs that have had that happen. Uh, Zillow doesn't have too many soldiers that are, are uh, you know, on the team right now. So I think while we don't have a ton of uh, defined policies, which I wish we had a little bit more of, um, at the very least, you know, there's no 
inhibitor from you know my team to like saying hey you know you're going to be gone three weeks this is just completely unacceptable you know yeah. so definitely feel very grateful that i'm able to fulfill you know both of my roles um you know as best as i can so just gotta yeah. keep keep communication lines open and uh, yeah. you know it all works out for the best before we move on to the the other things that you're working on, now that you are a, a software engineer in this program, you're at Zillow, you know, this big company that many people aspire to, to work at. Do you have a typical day in the life of? Yeah. I mean, so my my team works uh, mostly on the, the West Coast, but we have some uh, kind of center of the country and then and me on the East Coast right now. And I feel very blessed, honestly, to be on the East coast because I'll, you know, I'll get up, I'll do my, you know, my exercise, whatever I need to do, um, you know, hang out with my wife and baby, have a, have a good breakfast and then, you know, get started with my work day. And I try and do as much of my solo work as I can, you know, in the morning because, you know, nobody else is on, on yet. So try and you know, hammer out as much as I can there. Um, then the rest of the team starts to log on around noon or so. And so not only that, it also gives me the opportunity to, you know, be flexible with appointments, all these kinds of things that, you know, that just interfere with your workday typically uh, can just knock it out before, you know, it's going to disrupt any of uh, the team time. And then, you know, typically the afternoon we have more meetings and I'll, I'll do a lot more uh, paired programming meetings with the team to kind of help me work through bugs or issues I've been finding in the morning, you know, so that's kind of been the flow that's worked, worked best for me um, based on my geographic location and the remote work side. But yeah, super grateful for the, the flexibility of remote work too. I, I hope that uh, you know, I started off in an office at Zillow and I really loved the experience in a lot of ways, especially starting out, you know, starting out remote is, is tough, you know, yeah. but I think Zillow, for example, is is doing a really good job of letting people um, onboard remotely. But then we have quarterly starting to move towards the quarterly every six months in person gatherings for a week nice. or so. I love that option. I think that's fantastic. I think yeah. hybrid's great too. Um, but yeah, I think that's going to be the future of work moving forward uh, yeah. for a lot of yeah. people. LinkedIn used to do that, and I was actually fortunate enough, Josh, I think I got hired last June, I do believe, and we actually had the first team outing. My main team is actually, believe it or not, based out of Omaha, Nebraska, even though the primary headquarters is over in California. So yeah. all of us, I'm on the East Coast as well, we got to go over to Sunnyvale and San Francisco a week total. I guess that was right before the uh, macroeconomic headwinds like totally came down on the industry. And we haven't mm -hmm. been able to travel since, but I'm definitely hopeful and I'm I'm not alone based on, uh, I guess, recent conversations that have been had within the company. And I'm sure LinkedIn isn't alone there as well, where especially in like the, the remote first or hybrid first world that we live in now, you need, I, I truly believe, and got so much value from that one meeting where getting to meet mm -hmm. the team and, and establish those relationships. I feel like that's critical. And I'm sad to say we haven't had one since then. I think it's so cool that Zillow has that and you've got that quarterly opportunity. I'm really hopeful that LinkedIn reverts to that as well. Yeah, I think there's so much bang for your buck there that it, it's going to, I mean, you know, a weekend person can can bring a lot of those benefits that you have from being in office, be, mainly establishing those interpersonal relationships, you know, that you, you can get uh, seeing someone face to face. It's just a no brainer to me that yeah. that's kind of like the model that companies should be using moving forward. Another selfish question. Let me ask you about this pair programming because I know what it is, but it's it. I think it's interesting because we only know the things that we've experienced. The boot camp that I did had no pair programming, so I'm curious. How are you leveraging that? It sounds like maybe you know things that you're working on, bugs that you're finding. Is it such that you're maybe pairing up with a more senior engineer later on in the day, and either you know you're driving and they're observing, or vice versa? Is that kind of 
how that works? Exactly. Yeah, we do both. And we did a ton of pair programming at CodeFellows because it was in person. Like you had to be online during those times uh, you, and you couldn't miss a lot of class. So, you know, we did, you know, love using live share on VS Code. It's a nice extension where you can both be hitting, you know, the driver and the um, navigator can both be, pro, you know, kind of doing things at the same time. If like the navigator just sees something syntactically, they can knock out real quick. I don't do too much of that at Zillow, even though I could. Um, but yeah, typically I'll, you know, pair with pair with a senior or well, pretty much everyone's senior to me. So it's great. You know, I get yeah. all the, the help basically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they can just, we, we kind of talk through, they'll drive or I'll drive and we'll just talk through different pieces of, uh, of code and uh, different bugs that are, that are happening. So yeah, it's, uh, really valuable. I think, um, especially for mentoring, I think new, uh, newer engineers and yeah, we, we do a fair amount of it in, on our team, um, and you can, I think there's just a balance to be found. You know, we're not, we're not together six hours a day programming, but you know, right. you will all have at least an hour every day where I, I'm talking to someone else on the team and we, we kind of work on something together or it averages out to about an hour over the course yeah. of a, a week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I too am a junior on, I guess on my team and at LinkedIn writ large. And there, there is to your point, there's so much value, even if it's just like a presentation where a senior, an engineer shares their screen. And even if they're just doing something on the command line, you know, I'm learning so many things, taking all kinds of screenshots, trying to emulate that on the side. I think there's so much value in that. And I'm going to try to, I'm taking notes here. So live share on VS code. I'm sure there's probably a, a derivative of that for IntelliJ, which we use a little bit more than that. I'll have to, to look into that, see if I can kind of leverage that myself. So thank you for that. So other stuff that you're working on, it looks like you're also a run coach. Like how did that come to be? You want to talk about it? Yeah, that's kind of just like a pet project that is is very in the very early stages. Um, so on the side, again, one of the benefits of remote work, I also had the opportunity to do my first season of doing an assistant cross-country coach at a local high school just nice. ran the one that I was close to my house. And so this is my second season that we're going into right now. So love, love coaching the teenagers. Uh, I, I have aspirations to be a teacher someday. Um, so that'll, that was always my, actually my goal coming out of high school. I want to do 20 years in the army, retire, go be a high school history teacher. Um, nice. but, um, this is kind of my way to, you know, have more uh, connection with, with youth and, and coaching. Um, so I do that, you know, just on a volunteer basis on the side and it's, it's really rewarding. And so the, other piece that I just see is that so many people my age and in, into our, our 30s and 40s, like because you're typically putting in so many hours at work, um, the family, one of the first things to go is your own health and fitness. And, um, you know, I think being a good leader in the, the army requires you to be physically fit. So I try my best to be, um, you know, physically capable. And so it's just a small way for me to, uh, you know, try and help out other people who are doing the same, you know, wanting to, to be in good shape and, uh, you know, move forward. And I'm not like some athletic freak or Marvel or anything, but I think most of those kinds of people that you're seeing on social media are one, they're doing this all day, every day. So it's just not realistic for most people. Yeah. And, it, and at that point, it's just useless for everybody. Yeah. So um, definitely like that, that angle to it for sure. Yeah. And my favorite, like my two favorite social media platforms are for sure, LinkedIn and Strava. I, I love those too. Strava in particular, yeah. like you just have to not get sucked into the comparison game, but it's great to have virtual training partners. I have buddies from the army. I have friends from my old high school cross country team uh, yeah. and new people here locally that I just like to to follow and, you know, just give kudos to. And I've never seen anyone put somebody else down on Strava. So it's yeah. a really, really good platform. Yeah. I, I've heard of Strava. I've never, I guess, used it. Is that primarily for runners or I guess it's to cover other stuff? 
Yeah, it does quite a bit, few different things. It definitely, it's at, it's at its best with running and cycling are the two big ones. Swimming, okay. it can do it as well. So if you're ever training for a triathlon, a marathon or anything, I mean, for me, you know, I use a, a Garmin watch, super, mainly because it's great for the army and for, for fitness stuff, but you can, it works with Apple watches, phones. I hate running with a phone because I'm just very OCD about it. So I only run with a watch, no headphones or anything. And just, I just hit start, go, stop when I'm done or pause when I need to pause and then when I hit save, it just uploads it to both Garmin and Strava automatically. So all your data is on there automatically. And so nice. it's funny because the, like the heart rate data I've compiled, like the, the running data I've compiled, like it kind of, I had a, a heart issue last year and and actually a couple of weeks ago too. And kind of both times my heart rate data that I've seen, even though it's not perfectly accurate because you've built up enough trends over time, you can see, Hey, my heart rate my resting heart rate is spiking and I could see that it was spiking and I'd gotten some chest pain and mm -hmm. basically kind of gave me the, all the signs I needed. Hey, you got to go, uh, go to the hospital. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I love the app. It's, it's great. And that, yeah. so all that to lead to what I would love to do is have a Strava API integration with a chat GPT integration. You can see your activity data and just have some kind of like run coaching from chat GPT based on your current, you know, running efforts, like your daily or your weekly running efforts and you know ChatGPT is not a great run coach per se but it can give you some more feedback just based on yeah. historical trends that you really can't get full time from anybody else either so just a little pet project and we'll see if it ever comes to fruition but yeah i was gonna say that that's a good weekend project maybe well you mentioned child and wife so i, I too we have a 14 month old so i can empathize with yeah. you you may not have as much time as you used to i know i don't exactly yeah so running have you run throughout your life has that kind of been a, a pillar of strength for you it's been off and on. You know, I was a I was a very poor cross country runner in high school, and that. But luckily, that translated to being a very good army runner. And so now, yeah, I just you know, I run. I've got my goals this year to run fifteen hundred miles. Um, nice. I'm on roughly on pace with it. Although we'll see how this heart thing uh, derails it or how much it derails it. But yeah. uh, and again, I'm not very fast compared to most even recreational runners. I go to local five Ks and ten Ks for fun and get yeah. smoked by older people, sure. ladies, you know, people running with babies and, you know, in, yeah. uh, sport, <laughs> and I'm, I'm very at peace with it because it's, uh, yeah. I, I, I'm in a good spot for where I need to be. Yeah. Well, I, I can already tell you're very humble as well, Josh. And I just, I'm so glad that you, you touched on the health aspect because especially looking back at my life, like there was a, there was a point in time early college when I did everything wrong and I was really out of shape and, so far, hopefully for good, like that was the low point of my life. And thankfully I, I snapped myself out of that. And now I try to make, I, I do do running and this is going to be maybe sacrilege to you, but I, I prefer the treadmill because I like doing the, the high intensity interval training. And I like yeah. to get in there. I listen to my podcast or whatever it is, which my wife can't understand. And to her point, I totally get it. Like if I'm jamming out, I could probably run a little bit better, but I'm trying to accomplish multiple things at once. So, you know, listening to something on 2X and like to run, you know, off and on up to maybe 10, 11, 12 miles an hour, a minute at a time, do it for 20 minutes, get that done and also weight training. And so to your point, to anyone out there listening, you don't have to, you know, be like the social media influencers that Josh mentioned, you're not going to do that unless you're going to do that full time. And that's not in the cards probably for you. But if you apply the uh, the Pareto principle, try to just, you know, do a little bit. I forget what the statistic is, but I've heard it in so many different ways where if you just, you know, do like the one or two days a week or something like that, you get maybe half the benefit of doing, you know, what these influencers are doing. And you just get this tremendous benefit from that initial effort. So I would highly encourage anybody out there listening, if you don't have some kind of a, a health practice to, you know, look into it uh, as a possible option.
hundred percent agree. It's just, you know, it's, it's a definitely a, a passion of mine too, just to do anything. The, the best exercise is to do whatever you enjoy and gets you to yes. be consistent. With that. You know, I've definitely been a victim of, man, I, I didn't work out enough this week. So I've got to go do a three hour, I call them hero session in, in the mm-hmm. gym or running or something. Well, guess what? That's totally useless. You know, you, yeah. you're better off working, doing 30 minutes a day for four days than, you know, that two hour session once right. a week, you know, so right. definitely a, a huge fan of that. And yeah, yeah. a big advocate. I know it definitely worked for me. Do it for yourself. Don't necessarily do it for someone else, because I feel like, again, at least for me, that's definitely helped me stay the course for at least the past, almost the past decade, which, you know, it's definitely been a pillar of strength for me. I buy that. Yeah. Anything else you're working on that you want to share? Um, that's the big project right now. I don't have a lot of time between, you know, the army stuff. Uh, we have a new baby coming in August as well. So there's, there's plenty yes. to keep me occupied, even though I, I always feel very lazy, uh, kind of no matter what you have going on in life, you're always like, man, I, I definitely should be doing more stuff. And, uh, definitely from my perspective, it seems like I'm not being very productive with a lot of my time. And, but I think that's a, that's probably a fairly common, uh, you know, viewpoint. Yeah. I want to pull on that thread if you'll, if you'll entertain me, cause I, I too, catch myself in that mindset. And when I try to zoom out and assess why that is, I feel like it could be, you know, like Twitter scrolling or something like that, or even LinkedIn, you see all these people in whatever area that their specialty is like, wow, these people are super successful. What am I doing? Do you feel like it's some of that for you personally? Yeah. In particular, when it comes to software engineering, you know, I definitely feel like I'm the, you know, I'm in the 25th percentile of like software engineers, you know, because I, I feel like I, there's that prequel meme, you know, for all the Star Wars fans out there, you know, I am a slow learner, you know, that's, that's me in a nutshell when it comes to software engineering. And so, you know, seeing people to your left and right, who you think are doing much better than you or progressing much faster than you, you know, it's tough. And so I just have to constantly remind myself. And thankfully I have a great manager who reminds me too, like, Hey, Josh, this is a long journey. And so, um, you know, you don't have to be this awesome 10 X guy or gal in a, a year or less or whatever. So, I'm just trying to give myself that long runway to, you know, yeah. to be good, especially because I'm very lucky to have this role at Zillow where I have some time to develop and 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 be good. And even if I do ever get laid off, you know, I, I learned that lesson early on in my career. Like no companies of the family at the, the bottom line is that you're an employee and you're at will, you know? Yeah. So, but regardless of that, like I feel very, very prepared for the future, no matter what that is, luckily. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, I love that. I couldn't agree more. Well, Josh, before we get out of here, I know we're almost at our time. I would love to throw you in the hot seat and ask you a few rapid fire questions so we can better understand your psychology. Let's go. Cool. What does your typical morning routine look like? Yeah, I usually get up anywhere between, depending on, uh, you know, when I get started, you know, six to eight o'clock, get started running as soon as I possibly can. Um, if it's a closer eight o'clock, it doesn't happen. And then so it becomes a, a bit of a stress, but yeah, get up, go, uh, go run. Um, that's, Pretty much my four, at least four days a week I go and, and do that. Come back, get a good breakfast in, and uh, just I used to, my commute used to be from my upstairs to my downstairs. Now I'm in a single story, so it's uh, just you know shut you know cut that down just a bit, and uh, you know I go get started on on my work after uh, you know give my wife and my my baby a kiss. Yeah, love it. If you woke up tomorrow with unlimited money, what do you think you would do every day? Yeah, I would probably go be a teacher. Like I said, I'd I'd go coach some kind of uh, several you know track and, and cross country. And uh, yeah, I just really enjoy interaction with uh, with youth. And, uh, you know, one could argue that I should be following my passion and go and do something like that. And I know I will at some point. And I'm finding outlets to do it. But uh, I think there's so much value in mentoring folks that are, are you know, that are younger than you yeah. and, uh, you know, just providing a good hand. We need good teachers. And so uh, I think I could do a good job someday. So that's definitely in the cards 10, 15 years down the road. 
I know you mentioned podcasts earlier. Are there any books or podcasts that have had a really big impact on you? Yeah, I would say, I mean, like I said, Bigger Pockets was huge for me. I used to be a really big self-help book guy. There's a time and a season for that kind of a thing. And so this last couple of years, I really haven't been reading hardly at all. And uh, when I do read, it's like my fantasy science fiction type of of pleasure uh, reading. So I would say, don't let those kinds of books like stress you out. A lot of times they will, because it's, it's kind of that same thing where a lot of times, man, I should be Grant Cardoning it or James clearing it. And it's just like, all right, just focus on doing, focus on execution. Execution is what always will make the difference in in yeah. your life versus planning or thinking or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Comparison is the thief of joy. And I always tell people, or at least I find for me personally, Josh, if you have to compare, try to compare myself to like James from a few months ago and whatever facet. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's more of a, a fair metric and something that's more in my control. Agreed. If you could send a single message to your former self to help you during the various pivots that you've done, what do you think that message would be? I would say trust in the decisions that you make, you know, because mm-hmm. I love having a structure. I like having five, 10 year plans. And I I'm very like, I followed a lot of them to the T until it was time not to follow it. And when it was time not to follow it immediately made the decision to not do that thing. You know? So I initially, I was all set to go to Arizona state, be in, in the ROTC, ROTC program there had everything ready to go. And then I, I made the decision to attend my, my university in Utah, BYU. And literally it was like a, I, one day I decided it, the next day the paperwork was in to make that transition. Same thing moving here to South Carolina, same thing with deciding to, uh, you know, apply for Zillow and, and do some of those different things. It was like all, okay, this is not part of the plan, but you need to, to do this now. Yeah. And so just execute on, on good ideas. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Trust the process, trust your decisions. Is there anything you wanted to talk about that we didn't touch on? I mean, I'd love, you know, someday I'd love to hear more about your background for sure, James. I, I think, I think for one, it's just really great to have lots of examples of people who are going or are where you want to be, you know? So love the, some of the things you've, you've put out there. Love your, the stuff you've done with, with Andy. He's a great guy on LinkedIn. I like seeing yeah. uh, I, LinkedIn influencing culture is wild, but there's some really good people out there that are just speaking wisdom and just saying things that are, are, are going to be timeless employment truths, I think, versus yeah. the some of the flashy things that are just silly that people are saying, you know, if, yeah. if something is too good to be true, it is, that is an eternal truth that I'll, yeah. I'll stand by. And you see too much of that on LinkedIn. Yeah, no, hundred percent, man. And like we were talking about before we hit the record button, the reason behind the podcast is to share awesome stories like yours. It's not me. I, I'm nobody. Like I, if nothing else, I just want to aggregate cool people like you that have done amazing things and try to share those stories so that people out there listening that are maybe a little bit before you in the journey can pattern match the best bits and pieces and, you know, learn from, from the struggles that we've all had and hopefully provide that blueprint that I know I never had. And I definitely wish I had had sooner. So I just want to, want to thank you for coming on, sharing your story. And if people want to reach out to you or learn more about Josh Houston, where can they find you? Yeah, definitely available on LinkedIn. You know, feel free to shoot me a message or when on, on your connection request, you know, send me a message there. I usually try to respond to pretty much everyone that, that reaches out there and because I, I hope that people can do the same when I, you know, I'm, I'm reaching out for favors or, or help as well. So yeah, I appreciate you thinking that it's a it's a good story at all because uh, same thing. I'm 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 not much. Uh, so just appreciate uh, anyone willing to, to listen. Yeah, no, I'll definitely put your LinkedIn in the show notes. And Josh, thank you again for coming on, man. Love to do a, a future episode and touch base and see how things are doing. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time, James. Thanks for listening. 
If you got value from today's show, please consider leaving a five-star rating and a review on Apple or Spotify. It's a free way you can support the show and help other people just like you find the story and others like it. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. And most importantly, if you know someone that might be interested in breaking into tech, tell them about the show.